Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Every Friday, Romano Hussein, editor columnist from the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, joins us for his delightful conversation. And uh, Romano, we have so much to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about whether Andrew Cuomo is the sleaziest politician in America. We're going to talk about Neera Tandon, uh, who got caught up in Twitter storm. Should, should you tweet if you're not willing to stand by your tweets? Uh, we're going to talk about Chicagoans defending Chicago at all costs. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to give you a huge shout out. Huge shout out for recommending Minari and Train to Busan, which are two excellent flicks. I urge everybody to watch them. Even if you're not a zombie fan, movie fan, you should watch them. Uh, and uh, we'll get uh, other recommendations from you. But before we get to that, we need your opinion about uh, the brouhaha, the controversy breaking out over Dr. Seuss, cancel culture, right-wing MAGA people suddenly uh, discovering their love uh, for Dr. Seuss and his works. Um, the whole issue of Dr. Seuss, Neil Steinberg wrote about it, Mary Smeets wrote about it, now Romana, we need to hear you. What is your <laughs> thoughts uh, on this controversy? Go ahead. Um, now that I'm a lot older, I mean, I can say that I wasn't, you know, all you know, excited over Dr. Seuss books being, you know, pulled from the estate anymore, not being published anymore. So I'm not like a kid anymore. And I was actually thinking back to when I was a kid, I wasn't a huge fan of Cat in the Hat. I, I liked it, but I wasn't, it wasn't my favorite books. And I thought, I didn't really think the cat was that cute or charming. I remember thinking that, but I know Dr. Seuss is a beloved author um, and his estate decides to pull six of these books. And I actually had heard about um, the controversy a long time ago about the illustrations he had, particularly of black individuals and, and East Asian individuals. Like um, the East Asian picture was a very stereotypical um, picture of an East Asian person wearing a, I guess, a, cone, a conical type of hat and the eyes were really exaggerated, kind of like uh, Mickey Rooney at breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, and then the ones of like black people, they were kind of in like a stereotypical, like tribal type of um, outfit. So I remember seeing the pictures a long time ago. I, I think it's when people are just talking about when you look at older works and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, I watched movies that I loved in the eighties and um, you know, John Hughes, there's been a lot of discussions about his movies. Even Molly Ringwald who started his movies, she actually did a dissection of the movies and talked, talked about why she thought they were, you know, wrong in many cases, especially when it pertained to women and um, people of color. But um, yeah, so I think it's okay to go back and look at things and, you know, realize that, you know, certain works of arts can be problematic. It isn't like the library or these schools decided like, we're just going to get rid of these books. It's, it's a totally different thing when the estate is saying that, Hey, we realize um, that this 
was problematic and it wasn't considered problematic back then. And we're going to pull these uh, titles and they weren't like some of the bigger books that um, Dr. Seuss wrote. It wasn't the cat and hat, green eggs and ham. Um, I think I recognized one of the titles of the six books. If I ran a zoo, I think I saw, I think I've seen um, that before, like in a kid's hand, but I never saw the other ones. So um, it's the actual estate doing this. And I read Neil Steinberg's column right before um, I came on your show today. And it was about that this is the real thing, you know, also business. Realize that if they keep this in regulation, people might not read Dr. Seuss. And Dr. Seuss is a multi, multi million dollar, um, you know, business still. His books still sell. He's still a very popular author. So they're, they're probably, you know, Neil was saying they're making a smart business decision. You know, they're reading the room, as Neil said. And, you know, I, I never knew Republicans were such big fans of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I would never put, I would never put two and two together. So it's kind of interesting to see. Republicans start suddenly come to the defense of Dr. Seuss. I just never saw, you know, the connection there, but yeah, they're, they're saying that, you know, this is cancel culture and, but, you know, you started thinking, but what if it was something, a book that someone wrote a child, a children's book about white privilege. I can tell you these Republicans will be crying out against the book. If there was a children's book talking and pointing out, about what exactly white privilege is. And there probably are books like that, but I can see, or if there was a book about um, a Muslim, you know, there's children's books uh, about Muslims celebrating Ramadan or, you know, doing, you know, quote unquote Muslim things. I'm sure if a Republican saw knew that there was uh, those kind of books in, you know, their children's schools, they'd throw a fit about that. So it depends on what, and we've talked about this before, cancel culture, the people who are caught crying out against cancel culture are the people who've been canceling things for a long time. It's just that now that their culture is being questioned and people in their camp are being questioned and held accountable, they're all worried about it. Yeah, I uh, to the point you just made uh, about uh, canceling culture. By, um, by on behalf to protect Republicans and MAGA, one of our uh, my f- favorite segments is once a year or so, the um, a representative of the American Library Association comes on this show and uh, talks about all the books that have been banned. Like they keep track of the books that have been banned the most in our country, and uh-huh. almost I would say in the top ten, eight at least eight are banned uh, by. What are you, the conservatives, MAGA, uh, fundamentalist types, because they're children's books that preach tolerance uh, for gays, teach uh, tolerance for trans, you know, talk about sexual identity and how we all should have an open mind uh, and do our best to welcome everybody into the the family of man, as they would say in the old days. And... um, so it's just amazing how tone deaf Republicans are, how tone deaf MAGA is. Whenever they see any evidence whatsoever that somebody is uh, trying to, I don't know, uh, remove a book from a library or from a curriculum because it's offensive to people of color, they're outraged about cancel culture. But at the same time, they go right down to the boards of education and they intimidate like school librarians. Get that book out of here. So they're the biggest bunch of frauds. This is me speaking, not Ramana. The, 
MAGA is the biggest bunch of frauds in America when it comes to their supposed belief in free expression. They only want free expression for themselves. They don't want it for anybody else. And they use the whole issue like a club to beat the hell out of liberals. And you know, Romano, what really irritates me about liberals, among many things, is how they fall for it. You know, you must have liberal friends who tell you, you have to admit, like being woke is like, you know, you could be too woke. <laughs> Liberals, man, you always fall for this stuff. I don't. You got friends like that, Romana? Um, well, I think I think some people are just performative wokeness. I don't like people who are performative woke people. You know, they all do it on social media, but they're not really in real life. Those are the woke people that annoy me. The overly woke people on social media. We just want to show everybody how woke they are, but they are <laughs> woke. <laughs> woke. Uh, the concept of woke. All right, let me ask you this, because you, you raised a, a, an interesting point. For instance, uh, I don't know if you read, if they were still reading uh, Huckleberry Finn when you were in high school. Of course. Uh, okay, they were still reading it. All right, I don't know if they're still reading Huckleberry Finn at yeah. all. It's been uh, in high school, so. <laughs> it's been way longer since I was there. So, uh, of course, Huckleberry Finn is a very controversial book to teach. It's filled with the N-word. Uh, it's just, like, pops out on almost every page. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've heard a lot of people struggle with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the way, you know, that you should, uh, the introduction of a, of Huckleberry Finn uh, there should be an introduction that explains, puts into some kind of context to get people to understand, et cetera, and so forth. Explain why this book's important, even though it says it, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, use it as a history lesson. I don't know how you could do that with a, a Dr. Seuss book. Like, let's see if that Dr. Seuss book, and the illustrations are pretty offensive. You know, yeah. they, uh, Dr. Seuss evolved as a human being. I mean, he dealt with this. His, some, if you take a look at some of the cartoons he did when he was a cartoonist for uh, the New York newspapers in the 40s, and he was a for the internment of Japanese Americans. Yeah. Some of those cartoons are absolutely offensive. But he apologized. The man himself, he evolved. So how do you deal with an offensive illustration in a children's book with a kid who's just absorbing? You know how those little two-year-old brains or three-year-old brains are just absorbing things? How do you deal with that, Ramon? Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. I mean... You know, for someone like me, um, I went to a high school that, um, you know, in the 80s was probably, you know, in a, a suburban district was considered, quote unquote, racially diverse, but we had very few African-Americans. So, you know, when we did talk about um, Huckleberry Finn, you know, and, you know, we've seen people raise issues and people going, getting all angry when people want to ban the book. And, you know, it was a usually African-American group who would say that, hey, this book, you know, these, this book is offensive to them. And for someone like me who grew up in a school where there was barely any black people, yeah, it was easy to say, okay, this is, you know, offensive. The word was wrong. But, you know, I don't remember any African-American students saying, like, I don't want to read this book, but they were outnumbered. And I think I've seen some chatter on Twitter, like kids talking about, um, you know, these are African-American individuals. I shouldn't say kids are just younger journalists than I am. And they said that, you know, the books were offensive to them. And, you know, they said that they had understanding teachers where they didn't even have to read the book if they don't want to. So I just think this is a I think this is a conversation that we have to have. I mean, from someone like me, I enjoy those books. But, you know, I don't know if my I don't know if my nephews and nieces read that book anymore. I mean, children's literature is 
it's completely different. They read some books that I read when I was younger, but there's like just a whole different genre, a whole different can- category. There's all these different authors. So they don't even read the same material and they read things that are, you know, quote unquote woke now, you know, that we had. So maybe they balance it, but I don't remember if my younger nieces and nephews who are at that age where they re- read that, I'm going to ask them if they ever read um, Huckleberry Finn, you know, other Mark Twain books, but I think it's a conversation, but yeah, the two-year-old, the uh, five-year-old kids getting that book, it does seep into your brain. I mean, kids learn about racism early on. Uh, I mean, my first racial slur I heard when I was like in first grade, I mean, the kid learned it somewhere, right? He called me a brownie and I know he wasn't calling me, you know, someone from the Girl Scouts or like a brownie that you eat. I just, I knew it was, he was, you know, talking about my skin color. And I remember his name. I remember just, him saying that and I knew it was a racial slur so kids pick up on things earlier than we think so yeah having a book like that is does affect a child's brains yeah it's a um I, you're absolutely right it affects a child's brains and absorbed by a child and uh, yeah so I I I I understand why the Dr. Seuss uh, Foundation uh, pulled the books uh they have to figure out a way if they're going to bring them back how to bring them back in, a, in a, some kind of appropriate manner. Uh, I don't know. How, that's a, that's a challenge. I don't know how you can do that with an illustration uh, in a book for kids, but here's the irony. I think I pointed this out to you uh, before the show. Mag, but is just using this issue to uh, distract attention from the fact that they are nowhere to be found on the stimulus bill or opposing the minimum wage, looking for some issue that they could give to their base to fire them up. Uh, so to, to uh, demonize Democrats and liberals by saying they're trying to cancel culture it's, and they're urging everybody to buy the book, the book, Dr. Seuss book sales are going through the roof right now. <laughs> and, and it's, and Mag is buying them. <laughs> and uh, maybe the only book MAGA reads all year, but the point is, is that uh, the the um, the money is going to the very people that MAGA is supposedly mad at. The, yeah. the people who run the the foundation, they're the ones who are getting the money. So you're rewarding the people you want to punish, MAGA. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like the estate is not going to be you know, hurting. So I don't know who they think they are. I mean, and I think the books, maybe they can be redone and just take those illustrations, those specific illustrations out or like have a discussion with these different racial groups, activists and ask what can be done. You know, you know, if the language is fine, like, can we reprint the reprint this books? It's not like we can't have a discussion on this and get rid of the offensive photographs or the pictures, illustrations. All right, let's move on from MAGA. We're not going to solve them, uh, that, the problem with MAGA in the one show. And let's go on to Neera Tandon. Uh, I have, the, as you know, uh, sort of a general uh, bias against, uh, nah, that, that's so unfair. I just have a thing about people who just obsessively uh, tweet. Uh, Neera Tandon, of course, the economic advisor that uh, Joe Biden wanted to put in charge of um, what it was his office of budget. Uh, he had to withdraw the nomination because the Senate wasn't going to approve her because she's a history of obsessively tweeting. Really upset. Beyond anything, Romana, that you or any of your friends do. I mean, near attendant, uh, she tweeted more than Donald Trump. Believe, that is astounding. She tweet. She issued more tweets than Donnie Trump, and she'd be up all night, like battling Bernie Sanders supporters. Some some like twenty year old grad student. She'd be trash talking him on Twitter. 
Anyway, so she wants to be the head of the OMB. Uh, the Republicans are mad at her. Bernie Sanders is mad at her, although Bernie would have voted for her. Uh, and so Biden had to pull uh, the uh, nomination. My attitude about uh, Nira Tandon is that if you're going to tweet, stand by your tweets. I just don't understand. Twitter heads who tweet, and then when they want something that – you know, is in the mainstream. They tweet uh, out of the mainstream, and then they want something in the mainstream. They pull down their tweets and apologize for them. I'm not feeling it, Ramana. It'd be like I've said this before. If I started pulling down my columns because I wanted to get appointed by Lori Lightfoot at some, you know what I mean? Can you imagine? Oh, let's start burning these columns. I mean, it's like you got to stand by what you, you're right. In my humble opinion, your thoughts on this? No, you you bring up a good point. Um, I've actually seen different pieces on it. Um, on on her withdrawing um i seen asian american groups saying that you know this is totally unfair there and then you know i've seen other people pointing out that you know some of these republicans who are complaining about her tweets have more offensive tweets than the tweets she had so you know i think those are good points but you also raise a good point in terms of standing by what you believe in you know she said she apologized she apologized quote for the language and past language unquote that she used and you know if you feel that strongly about something and you're willing to put it out there frankly just between you and me i do like twitter but there are some people who like they just live on twitter all the time i mean they tell you everything that they're doing you know sometimes i feel like they don't have friends because they'll be like hey does anybody want to you know this is before when we had uh you know movies they'd be like hey does anybody want to go catch like you know the new star wars movie with me and i'm like god you have like a zillion followers and you have no friends that you can find to take you to watch a movie. So some people, some of these people, and they're usually younger than me, they live their lives on Twitter. Now, near attendance, I think she's older than me. And I kind of think like, why would you, I mean, doesn't your family stop you? I mean, Mick, my husband, when he sees, when he's talking to me about something that I'm not that interested in, I'm like texting my friends or my family and, you know, we're joking about something I'm interested in. And he's like, hey, get off the phone. Are you listening to me? And he's like, what did I just say? So, you know, I, I know that's a bad habit. So, and I don't do it that much, but I do go on my phone and I'm texting my friends. I mean, you were texting me about um, a train to Busan earlier this week, and he was talking to me about Peter, Paul, and Mary. So it was kind of like a welcome relief. <laughs> I was... I was I was texting you back and forth while I was getting a, you know, a history, crash course history on Peter, Paul, and Mary. So I have to tell you, so that happens. So, but I'm just saying, like, sometimes I get distracted by texts and I just can't imagine like having a family and just tweeting all day. Like I, you know, I would just, just go berserk. So I, I, I think that if you do feel strongly, like I, I feel strongly behind all the tweets I tweet. And if someone if someone said that, oh, you know, you should take this tweet down, I, I don't think I would. But I, so I, I do think you raised a good point. Um, you know, I don't know that much about Nira Tan. I know her, you know, I know her politics. I don't know that I know that um, she kind of butt heads with Bernie Sanders and she worked for Hillary Clinton for a long time. Right. And the Obama administration. So I don't know. I looked at some of the tweets. Yeah, it's I don't know. I didn't find any of them like super offensive. So just just say like, hey, I'm fine. I'm with you. I didn't find. Yeah. And listen, I love Bernie Sanders. So, but, you know, I give as good as I get. If I'm going to rip mainstream Dems, I got to expect the mainstream Dems are going to come after me. And they do all the time. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, I didn't hold it against her that she was fighting the Bernie, even my beloved Bernie Sanders supporters. Um, and I totally agreed with what she said about Ted Cruz. 
I think yeah. she said vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz, something like that. Why are you why are you apologizing for that? I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, most Republicans agree with you. Republicans, this is part two. Republicans are fraud. This is Ben speaking, not uh, Romana. They are such frauds. They're the Donald Trump is the biggest violator of standards on Twitter in the world. They cry like little babies when Twitter finally kicked them off, and now they're offended. You were attended, insulted Ted Cruz. He said he has no heart. Well, you don't think he has it. Where is the heart? Show me the heart, Ted Cruz. <laughs> I think you're so totally right. And I mean, someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, she never really apologized. Did she? Her apology was like a non-apology. So it's like, okay, if the Republicans say like worse things and they don't apologize, why do you have to apologize? I think I think that would be that would have been better. And maybe Nira Tandon didn't think that she would have to withdraw. She didn't think the pressure would be that. And so, she, or maybe she did know that and she decided to apologize. But I think if you feel that strongly and you're that like on Twitter, yeah, don't apologize. I mean, the other side doesn't have to apologize. So I don't think you need to either. Unless that's something like, you know, horribly offensive, you yeah. know. But, but, you know, the Republicans are saying things 10 times worse and... No, nobody's apologized for any of that. Absolutely. What a bunch of frauds. All right. Now let's move on to uh, subject item number three. Uh, I'm up in arms about New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, and I, I must start the, preface this by saying, as a Bernie guy, I always thought Andrew Cuomo sucked. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. He's like a Rom... New York's version of Rom. He's real arrogant. He's real nasty. He, he just thinks he knows everything. And he's finally, it's like biting him back. I mean, well, I won't even talk about what he did in terms of covering up COVID deaths uh, in nursing homes, et cetera. But I'm just talking about the reports of his utter sleaziness uh, and sexual harassment of women. So the question I have for you is Andrew Cuomo the sleaziest politician in America, Romano Zango. He's, or at this moment, he's probably the sleaziest politician that we know of. But, you know, this kind of behavior is probably very pervasive among many men and many politicians. I mean, I, when I heard about it, I mean, I shouldn't say that I wasn't surprised, but it's, it, of course, like, you know, women get, you know, taken aback just hearing some of this stuff. But I feel like people don't take sexual harassment seriously until they're until these certain individuals are called out. Otherwise, like people laugh. And I've always said that if men were, you know, if like you were in your 20s or 30s and there was like women who were in their 60s, like grabbing at you or making comments about your fate, you know, your your physical appearance. I think men would take it a lot seriously if this happened to them. But this stuff doesn't I mean, it's not usual for, you know, men to get accosted by older women the way older men accost younger women. And this brings me back to, you know, your boy, Woody Allen, where <laughs> I was going to say, I actually tweeted about uh, Woody Allen this week. I just couldn't take it. I just, I, my tweet was like, not to brag, but I thought Woody Allen was creepy and revolting way before when everybody else thought he was cool because I saw the second episode of the Woody Allen um, documentary. And there's this one, one great part of the documentary where they're laying out all these movies where Woody Allen shows like him or another old man with these young women and these like film critics were basically saying, you know, we all th thought these movies were great, but what he was doing was normalizing these, the way older men behaved, you know, predatory behavior. And for years, like I've been like told that I was like crazy because I didn't like Woody Allen movies. I and I've watched Woody Allen movies, but just not the ones with him in it because he would creep me out. I mean, yeah. 
that was just kind of creepy. And they, I never watched Manhattan. Everybody, especially men, tell me how what a great movie it is. But anyway, so I'm like watching the clip in this documentary, and Muriel Hemingway, she's only 16 years old in the movie, and he's 42. And the movie makes it seem like she's the predator. I mean, it's just the way the normalization of this behavior of older men towards younger women has been out there for a long time and it's been accepted and it's been seen as cute and charming. So this sort of stuff happens to, I mean, I'm sure if you talk to any woman in your life, this sort of stuff has happened to them with a man in a position of power. And so I don't know, Andrew Cuomo at this point, you know, everybody obviously is like grossed out by it, but I bet there's a lot of men who behave like this and, you know, I think I don't know how like people don't call it out when it happens, but I think it's because women aren't sure. Like, you know, these are two of the I think two of his accusers are his former aides. Right. Because, yeah. you know, one of them, he kissed one of them and he said he you know, he's always been kissing people and hugging them. That's what his dad did. And he's learning now that that behavior isn't accepted anymore. But but um, throws his dad under the bus. You know what I'm Damn. <laughs> Blame it on dad. Dear old dad dad, you know. So yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I think I think you raise a good point. He probably is right now, but easiest politician that we know of right now. But I think I think that this behavior is probably more pervasive than you know we know of. And there's probably a lot of politicians that everybody thinks is like wonderful and you know, nobody talks about it anymore because that guy's gone, long gone. And then, you know, years later, people say stuff. But, you know, it's it's good to call people out if these things did, ex- you know, look into allegations because these are these these allegations should be taken seriously. Of course, these are all allegations against him right now, but they should be taken seriously. Uh, I will say this. Uh, Andrew Cuomo will not be the sleaziest politician in America so long as Donald Trump is on the yeah. scene, in my humble opinion. Uh, Donald Trump will always remain one. And let me just address the Woody Allen issue, which I must <laughs> uh, confront. You are so right. When you were, uh, that was a great riff, and I was cheering you. I had the sound out, but I was cheering you. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Manhattan is one of the most disgusting movies ever. Uh, and I will now make a confession. Uh, I thought it was disgusting when I saw it. It really unnerved me. And I was young. I mean, even for me, I was young. I was, when Manhattan came out, I was under 22 or something like that. I mean, I'm really young. Uh, And it even creeped me out. Uh, But then I kept giving him a second chance. It's much like me and Michael Jackson. Like, so he did another movie that I really liked, like Manhattan Murder Mystery or um, Crimes and Misdemeanors or Small Time Crooks, which I really, I'll give him one more chance. But I'm through with him. Ramada. Through with them, you're you were with that riff you did was so good, was so true. Uh, all those movies were the older men, and then when he became even too ancient, he put like younger substitutes of him. And I have younger in quotes like Larry David, Larry David, who would be like a younger version of Woody Allen, would be like any what, what's old boy's name, Will Ferrell. They put Will Ferrell in a you know, what I'm saying? so you're right, you're absolutely right. I stand accused and guilty as charged. And I had to address this with Michael Jackson because I had to confess how much I love this song. Never can say goodbye. I don't know if that song's before your time, if you know what it is, but it's a Michael Jackson song. It's a Jackson five. Song. So I deal with this. I struggle with this. This is a confession moment for me. Uh, <laughs> he threw it right back at me and I deserved it. All right. Uh, before we go to uh, Romano's recommendations, I have to ask you this. This popped up into my head when we were chatting before the show. 
the way in which Chicagoans just find this like really hard to think, defend the stupid things that Chicagoans do by saying other people do it. We had this conversation. I don't want to say what we were talking about because yeah. this is going to be a topic uh, that Romana writes about, and I don't want to scoop her story and everything. So we're going to hold off on discussing the specifics of of it. But uh, in telling me what was going down, you told me that somebody's response to this story you're writing about is, well, that happens all the time. I, I just... I can't take that as a justification from Chicagoans. Like what, how is it, you know what I'm saying? To justify something bad that you're doing by saying other people do it. How is that a justification? Please explain this to me, Ramana. Go ahead. Well, this person was telling me in terms of like the way certain things are written, the way legislation is written, the way it gets rewritten. And my response was, well, no doubt. And this person said that, by the way, while they heard me discussing this issue with you, they said I was voting. (laughs) (laughs) And and I wasn't. And I wasn't. He said that I was part of the vote. But no, I mean, it's a good point. Um, I thought you were going to talk about how Chicagoans, um, our famous people, are loved outside of Chicago. Yes. Let's talk about that, too. Go ahead. (laughs) But you're right. You're right. I mean, that shouldn't be an excuse just because like it's kind of like, you know, the sexual harassment we're talking about. Like, oh, yeah, old men like, you know, grab women's butts all the time. So we're like and men in general. So like whatever. And th- that was like that was the attitude. Right. Boys will be boys. So that doesn't mean that we don't call it out. We should call it out when it comes to politics and everything else. But, yeah, the Chicago thing I do think is true. I do think that there are politicians and personalities that everybody like outside of Chicago, um, is all enamored with. And then everybody in Chicago is like, Oh, that person, we don't like them. And that's true with politicians. I was telling you like on a local, like on a very macro or micro level, like even within my community, the Muslim community, like there was like maybe one or two people that we like, you know, something happened to them. They became stars, you know, and, and then all of a sudden like everybody, and we knew what they were like inside Chicago. And so, they would be like, you know, their Facebook posts would be filled with people like bragging about them and everybody else in Chicago would be like, oh my God, this person's so annoying. And, you know, and then eventually like every, all their friend, all this person's friends, Facebook friends in Chicago, they just like couldn't stand the like posturing and they're just like, you know, they left. And the only people gushing about this person are people like from out of town. So, so yeah, I, I do think that's true. Like with our politicians, um, we've probably seen it with um, several of our politicians, like people outside of Chicago like them more than people in Chicago. And, you know, I know you're talking about, we're talking about Andrew Cuomo, but I just posted an AP story right before I started um, this podcast where, you know, the headline was uh, now, Amer- now the rest of America knows what New Yorkers already knew, but you're pointing out a, a good thing yeah. about it. all these New Yorkers. A bunch of frauds. And what frauds? Yeah, come on. I'm gonna, I have to say that because you pointed that you, you said that to me. And Andrew Cuomo ran for re-election in the Democratic primary in 2018 against Cynthia Nixon, who's uh, t- the lefty candidate. I would have voted for her in a heartbeat. And I think he got over 60 percent of the vote. I can't remember the exact percentage, but he, he trounced her. And then he was like a really bad sport. Typical Andrew Cuomo pounding his chest like I'm the man. Uh. And uh, so New Yorkers. Don't act like you knew about Andrew. You kept electing him. In fact, he's thinking about running. People are saying step down. He hasn't ruled out running for re-election. 
So those dummies in New York will probably reelect him. So don't act like you're that so smart New Yorkers uh, about Andrew Cuomo. That's that was my reaction, Romano, when um, uh, I saw that. But yeah, but you're right. Like like uh, Lori Lightfoot is so popular with um, uh, Trevor Noah and Steve Colbert. You know, they <laughs> lefties in Chicago like. Whoa. I think it's true. And it's probably true in other cities too. Like, you know, people probably outside, you know, we probably look at other figures and are like, Oh wow. I mean, everybody was gushing about Andrew Cuomo during the pandemic, yeah. but people were doing that in Chicago with Lori Lightfoot and Pritzker too. They're just like, wow. And I, and my whole attitude is I'm not, I'm not taking, you know, anything away from them, but it, it's kind of annoying to watch people gush over people because they're doing what the politicians, <laughs> when they're doing their jobs. I just think that's our bar has gotten so low that everybody gets excited when somebody does the right thing and, or what the politician is supposed to do, like even the bare minimum. I mean, even with Trump, like all of a sudden after the Capitol riots, there's a couple of Republicans saying, oh, this is terrible. Um, where were you four years ago? And then everybody's like act, applauding them and acting like they deserve a medal. I'm sorry, I don't think people like that deserve a medal. Yeah, I uh, you raise a very good point. We'll probably be talking about this in future episodes because uh, Trump was so. And this is me speaking for myself. Trump was so offensive, and uh, for those four years on so many levels, uh, and he was so horrifically bad at meeting the country's needs on so many levels that I felt when anybody defied Trump. I would have wanted to cheer him. When anybody showed a different side of what a politician could do or be behave, I would want to applaud him. And I, you're right; it's it was part of it was a reaction uh, to Donald no, Trump. But that's different than the people who are standing by him all these years. Oh yeah, well they are just yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like the people who stood out and loud. Um, I'm talking about the people who just stood there and didn't say anything, and then all of a sudden they grow spine after the you know the Capitol riots on January 6th. They're like, whoa, okay, now we're you know at, you know all the racism, all the sexism, um, you know the treatment of reporters, um, just just his ineffectiveness. That was fine, but. You know, it took that to, you know, it took the, you know, actual violence that could have harmed them to, you know, finally stop and, you know, realize. And I don't think, I don't think people like that deserve a medal or recognition. I agree with you there. All right, let's move on to uh, Romana's recommendations. I think you should take a victory walk. Uh, last week, you gave two recommendations and it was Romana weekend at the Jarofsky household. My wife and I watched both on separate nights uh, and uh, Minari, I just, I couldn't get over what a great movie that is. Uh, it is an American movie, okay, made by an American, all right? Uh, he's a Korean-American, but he's an American. Why the Golden Globes put it in the category of foreign movies, I do not know. I understand that some of the movie, some of the dialogue is in Korean because it's a story about Korean immigrants. I understand that, but a lot of the dialogue is in English, Uh Great, great movie. Can't thank you enough for recommending. I urge everybody to check it out. And the other one is the vampire movie from 2016, which I've been recommending to everybody, Train to Busan. And what I've discovered, Ramon, is that the world's divided into people who like uh, zombie movies. I said vampire, I meant zombie. Like yeah. zombie movies and people who don't. And there's a lot of people out there who don't like zombie movies, which I actually, kind of I, surprised me. 
I actually don't, and this is, the, I mean, I have a connection between Minari and zombie movies, but I actually uh, grew up not really liking zombie movies. And then, you know, my, my younger sister started watching The Walking Dead a few years ago. And she goes, oh, you got to watch The Walking Dead. And we were a couple of years out. It already started. And then I started watching it. And then I started liking, the show was really good. So the lead in Minari, Stephen Wen, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, he was, he was in the walking dead and that's what got him famous. And there was like, when he was, his, his character was killed off, but he was one of this care. His character was Glenn and everybody loved Glenn. And there was, um, the show where he was killed off and no one saw it coming. And it was, it was like, I know it's really funny because I can tell you, I was watching it. Mick doesn't watch a lot of shows with me. He was sitting there on, uh, they watch, you know, eating dinner. And I was like in it in like a couple feet away. And I'm like, oh, I was like, you know, totally like, you know, freaked out. And he's like, what happened? I'm like, they killed Glenn. And then he's like, what? <laughs> and so he's, he, he, because of his uh, character in the walking dead, Glenn. Um, and I, I told you, and then, you know, I know you have one of the guests, Samina Mustafa on your show, but she's one of your frequent guests. A couple of years ago, she was on this um, Asian American um, group. Um, that does a lot of work for, you know, advancing. It's called, a, I think, I don't want to mispronounce it, but it's basically an Asian, a group, an, a bunch of Asian-American activists pushing for, like, you know, Asian-American legislation and just a lot of charity work. And so he was going to come to this event, and Samina Mustafa was trying to get people to come, and I'm like, what? Stephen One's going to be there? And I said, I'm going to come. Can I get a selfie with him? And she was all like, yeah, totally. So I remember going, and then the poor guy got sick or something happened, and he sent a video message. And this is like three, four years ago. I was so bummed. So they said that he was going to try to get him to come to another event. But I think his popularity since then has really risen. He's like in a lot of movies and, you know, I'm glad. So the zombie show is what got Stephen Wen popular. So I thought Train to Busan, I'm not even a huge zombie fan, but I think there's a lot of deeper meanings in, in the in the movie. I don't know, Dennis, if you watched it, it's really good. You don't even have to like zombies to watch it. And I, I just thought it was really good. It was creative. Um and it was kind of fast paced and it was really kind of like it, it wasn't it wasn't like super scary, but it did make me scared a lot. And it, it probably made me cry more than uh, your other your favorite film, Lily's Loves or whatever it was called, Ben. Which one? The, the, your, your, which your, which? Sylvie, Sylvie's Love. Oh, I love Sylvie's Love. Don't don't trash Sylvie's <laughs> Love. Uh, I just couldn't hear you. Yeah, Sylvie's Love. Yeah. Uh, that and the Sophia Loren movie, probably two of my favorite movies of the year. Um yeah, I trained to Busan again. Uh, that, now that movie is uh, in Korean, so you have to watch it with English subtitles. And I know that turns off a lot of a lot of people. I know you just don't want to watch subtitles. I don't get it, but whatever. Um, and uh, but I, if if you're not turned off by subtitles, or just give it a shot, folks. It is. I don't get how you can be turned off by subtitles. I told my little nephew who was born in 2009, I said, he loves scary movies. So I go, I think you really like this movie. And I asked him, I go, do you mind reading subtitles? And he said, no. So if a little boy can do it, you know. It's just you practice, know. you'll get it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's fine. And then and you raised a good a point about Minari. I mean, I was born in the United States. I grew up speaking another language at home. I talked to my parents in Urdu like 99.9% of the time, that's part of the experience of a lot of Americans not speaking English all the time. And so uh, I just absolutely that people don't think that that's part of the American experience. And that's part of the problem. And that's something that the Trumpsters would say, you know, like 
Minari should be put in, you know, the foreign language category. And as, as you know, the Golden Globes has no, has had never uh, a member on the, you know, the Hollywood, Hollywood Press Association, whatever the group of members are that vote on this, they never had a black member. So that was the biggest thing in the Golden Globes when I, which I watched, I had it, I recorded it and I fast forward a lot, but it was, it was interesting to say the least. All right. Uh, so, uh, so in the aftermath of such a triumphant week, last week you threw your recommendations. We'll close with your recommendations for this week. Now, no pressure to follow up on last week's great uh, well, recommendations. You have to admit, I have good taste. I do. I do lead you down a good path and get you to watch good things. But um, yeah, I think if you like, like I said last week, I'm going to mention it again um, because I had like a zillion recommendations last week. Um, if you're looking for something lighthearted, um, Wayne, it's on Amazon Prime. It's like a coming of age teenage show, but you might have objections to it because the lead character in it, he was in Sing Street and he's Irish American and he plays a new, he plays a, he plays a Boston guy with a strong Boston accent. You might get mad at that since he's Irish and not, you know, not, not from Boston, um, but it's a good show. But, you know, I think this week, a lot of people are going to be watching tonight or this weekend coming to America, the sequel to, you know, the original coming to America, this coming to America is number two. Um, this is Eddie Murphy and his family uh, 30 years later. I think, when did that? When did the original come out? In the 80s. I was a kid when I saw it, so I'm trying to remember. The original coming makes, to, was in the 80s, right? Yeah, you know, it's all a blur to me, 80s, 90s. Yeah, it was uh, in the 80s. Was, I'm looking for the date now. It yeah, wasn't. it was. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to watch that, and I still, I still want to watch I Care A Lot. I, I heard a lot of good things about that. Um, the actress actually won a Golden Globe for her performance in that. Who's and she is British. Sorry, she's a British. Uh, yeah, I, I care a lot. Got a, a recommendation from our legal affairs expert Jim Coogan. Uh, it, it movies it has to deal with people who exploit yeah. uh, senior citizens, and I don't want to give too much of it away. And he said it was, uh, it's is, definitely worth watching. Lead is British, so you'll be mad about that. Uh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my inner Donald Trump. <laughs> 1988, by the way. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I saw it when it came out. Uh, that's how old I am. I saw it when it came out. I saw it at the movie theaters. All right. So uh, I will uh, dutifully watch Wayne. I will take your advice. I will probably watch Coming to America too, since I like the first one so much. I have to finish watching WandaVision. My wife really likes it, so I'm just like sort of. It? you like it? Because I'm hearing a lot of buzz about it. I, I I'm getting into it. You know, it takes a while for me to get into it. I, I will. I probably will not like it as I don't know. It's getting wait, as soon as I said, I've only watched half of it. It's getting better as time goes on. But my wife really likes it. And fair is fair. Ramon, I've made her watch so many shows that I want to watch. So I'm sort of obligated to uh, Good. see it through. And uh, but uh, so that's. But the, thank you again. I urge everybody. Train to Busan is it, it, it works as like a, as a zombie movie. Uh, it works as like an action flick where you jump because things like, yeah. like, that shock you. But it's also a parable about greed and selfishness and, uh, you know, just corporate greed. Yeah. Uh, it just works on so many different levels. So it was a blast to watch it. Uh, so, all right, Romana, stay wait, safe. Wait a minute. Sound. Wait a minute. Hold on. Romana, do you have time to do at least one Chicago trivia question? Oh. Yes. Give her two. Let's. Yeah, go ahead. Let's go. All right. So, Romana, obviously you work with the Sun-Times. So have you seen this at all? No. 
Perfect. Okay, great. All right. Uh, ben did horrible, by the way, so just know that. We did this yesterday for Ben. All right, I went through a few of these questions here. Chicago trivia question. You guys can answer these questions yourself at Chicago Sun-Times. Satchel Price, you're the man. Thank you. All right. Your question, Romana. Lincoln Park Zoo opened after being gifted a pair of what animal from New York City? You have options. Lions, elks, pumas, swans, or monkeys? Monkeys. You're going monkeys? Or lions. Monkeys or lions? Which which <laughs> one? Which one? It's a multiple. That's like the ACT. Well, it's either A or B. No, you got to pick one or the other. Lions. I'm going to go with lions. You're going with lions? All right. Let me uh, channel my inner Regis Philbin here. Is that your final answer? Yeah. <laughs> final answer. You feel good about that? Lions. Lions. That's what we're going with. Okay. Well, the answer. Let's see. Nope. That's wrong. Oh. Swans. Oh. Central Park's Board of Commissioners gifted the zoo a pair of swans in 1868. Around when Ben was born. Romana, I said lions too. Okay? Oh. I said lions. Lions and zoo. And, and and I have to tell you, Lincoln Park Zoo is the first place I ever took a field trip when I was in kindergarten. Now, this one here, we have to ask you this real quick. I want to see if you can get it. Ben, once again, did not. Uh, but the question to you is, I think you can do this, Romana. How many lines does the famous Chicago L train system have? Oh, okay. Wait, there's a green, yellow, red, blue. I think five. Is that your final answer? Five. Oh, wait, there's an orange too. Six, six. Is that your final answer? Six. Yes. Are you sure about that answer? You feel good about that answer? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't know. All right. She says six. Let me put in six here. I already know the answer, but let me just play along. Hold on. Six. All right. Yeah. Almost. There's actually eight. There are eight lines. <laughs> it was like it was going to be more than that or six. I forgot the pink line too. Okay. You know, and the, and then I don't really count the uh, what is it the yellow line, the one that goes out to a Skokie. It's like it's yeah. not really Chicago. I mean, it starts at Howard Street. But but it's it's a, t- <laughs> a tough question. <laughs> I tell you what, that sometimes they threw some curveball. So I don't feel so bad, Ramona. Not only did we get the same answers wrong, we got the same wrong answers. Oh. I said. <laughs> I said five, and then I said, wait a minute, six. I did the same thing. Great minds think alike. All right, we'll let, we'll let you off the hook. Well, no more questions. Uh, wait, give her the one that I got right. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, let me, th- like I study every show. Let me, uh, <laughs> which one? I don't know which one you got right. Hold on. I second. got the one right about uh, Wrigley Field. Oh, uh, all right. Here oh, we answer? What's oh, that? No, it's uh- I thought he was telling me the answer, so. Oh, no. No. Romana, what was the original name of Wrigley Field? Addison Field. Cubs Park. Wiegman Park. It's always been Wrigley Field. I think it's always been Wrigley Field. All right. Ben did better than you because it's Wiegman Park. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. Okay. Well, it was always <laughs> Field since I was a kid, so I just assumed all right you know what let's spare her any more questions <laughs> i did terrible on this thing too and uh so let's just blame the test let's say the test is uh 
biased. Is, is biased. Yes. Come on. Sometimes get a test, a better test. All right. Romana, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care guys. All right. That's the great Romana Hussein from the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, our guest every Friday. D, you got any updates for us before we head out that door? Great job from Romana. Oh, wait. Ah, damn it. Forgot to give her my Rick. <laughs> I was going to recommend over the weekend she watch uh, those series of Cuomo videos uh, from last year. I mean, yeah. they want an Emmy. Jeez, nobody will be watching those anymore. Oh, that Emmy. Hey, the Emmys want that Emmy back, Cuomo. Give that Emmy back. Yeah, maybe next week. Maybe next week. All right, everybody. Let's do the back half here. First, wait, hold on. Yeah? Really? Okay. Ben, the, the newsroom's flagging me down. Oh. Yeah, I know. Oh, we haven't heard from the news. Heard from them in a while. I know we haven't. I hope they're okay. I haven't really checked on them. All right. Well, uh, we got some breaking news. Let me uh, run oh. to the newsroom real quick. Listeners, hang tight. Ben, hang tight. We got a news story here. One second. Hang tight. Hey, give me the story. What? Yeah, who cares? Thank you. I'm talking about like their favorite zombie movies. Who cares? <laughs> oh. Curious what they like. Go ahead, D. That's a good story. I'm not curious at all. Good story here. Breaking news. Oh. <laughs> the following comes from the damn toughest trivia question askers on the planet, the Chicago Sun Times. Very, very hard stuff. All right, we do have breaking news here. Oh, what does this say? Hold on. The newsroom. Come on. A printer. All right, we need a new printer in the newsroom. The ink's gone low. All right, here we go. I can I think I can read this. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and John Seidel. Political operative Roberto Caldero pleads not guilty to charges involving ex-alderman Danny Solis. Pet, uh, political operative Roberto Cal, uh, Caldero pleaded not guilty. Prosecutors last week revealed a 20-page grand jury indictment against Caldero. In doing so, they further pulled back the curtain of the undercover work of Solis, who left the city council after the Chicago Sun-Times in January 2019 revealed he'd been cooperating for years with the feds. The new indictment alleged that Caldero offered Solis as much as $20,000 in campaign contributions to help an Ohio company, because we got to help out Ohio, land a $1 billion <laughs> custodial contract with the Chicago Public Schools, as wow. well as $50,000 in campaign contributions to help secure an honorary street designation and park renaming for members uh, of the family. Caldero also allegedly bribed a high-ranking CPS official, Pedro Soto, with job offers, champagne, and admission to an annual museum benefit. Wow. Well, these are allegations, of course, so um, innocent to proven otherwise. I knew Caldero way, 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 way a long time ago, D, in the 80s when I first moved to town. He was uh, a young political uh, activist, operative. Uh, I remember him working on uh, Louis Gutierrez's early campaigns in the 80s. Uh, he was always one of these guys who was telling me how the thing, how the system really worked. This is how it really works, okay? <laughs> Everybody's always, this is how it really works. So I haven't seen him in years. But uh, let me just uh, point on the one thing. The Ohio company gets the custodial contract. Oh, that's your privatization deals that you love so much, liberals, Dems. Huh? That's, oh, privatized. Real legitimate good jobs that go to Chicagoans who have to live here. Get a pension. Get good health benefits. Make a good living. Live in a neighborhood and take the money that we pay them to do a decent job and invest it in a neighborhood. Oh, suddenly... We don't want that anymore. That was Mayor Rahm's big idea. We don't want that anymore. 
Instead, we want to farm out most of the money to the bosses who own the company to hire people for less. That was considered, quote, unquote, reform. So now all these scandals from these privatization deals, and you still get these good government types trying to tell you, convince you that it was a good idea to fire Chicagoans and give the money to somebody from Ohio. Heck of a job, Dems. Heck of a job you've done running this city with your privatization deals. But you're outraged now. The same people who are endorsing the privatization deals were were outraged by this culture of political corruption in Chicago. I don't know how it happens. Very outraged. That's why people leave Chicago. Well, you weren't outraged when they were doling out the contracts. Then you were applauding it. We think it's a good idea to cut costs, to eliminate unnecessary expenses in our city and school budget by getting people to do the work for less. It's a great idea. Well, of course, we don't believe in it for ourselves, but we believe in it for custodians. That's that's your the brains of corporate Chicago as articulated by the editorial boards in this city. When are you gonna learn, Chicago? Never, you're never gonna learn. Never gonna learn. Hey! I'm going to Office Depot this weekend to get in. Give me your money. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you what, Ulern. The newsroom. They know it's a scam, D. Oh, yeah. They know it's a scam. <laughs> they sure. know it's a scam. Yeah. They're the smartest uh, guys in the city of Chicago, I tell you. All right. We got enough money for printer ink. I'll go this weekend to Office Depot. <laughs> All right, uh, yes. let's uh, do uh, a little CPS CEO Ben Jarofsky. Yes, it's a fig, very fictional segment that we're doing today on the program. By the uh, way, my answers have totally. You know, have you noticed how my answers are much different than Janis Jackson's answers? Uh, yeah, just, big time. Uh, one sounds less hippie-ish. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well put. All right. Uh, wait, hold on. Do we have more breaking news here? Wait, hold on. Okay. We'll, we'll save this for next week. We will save this Ooh, news for next wow, week. What could that be? Yeah, what breaking the hell? News. Let's do it. Breaking news. Oh, okay. <laughs> the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran, the woe man, Spielman. The headline reads, Lightfoot accused of, quote, going her own way on issues pivotal to progressive voters. Mayor Lightfoot was accused Friday of going her own way or, quote, putting up roadblocks on four issues pivotal to progressive voters, civilian police review, search warrant reform, police spending and an elected school board. Alderwoman Maria Haddon, been of what ward? 49th. What a dork. Is the prime mover behind a more sweeping search warrant reform ordinance embraced by Anjanette Young, the innocent woman forced to stand naked, crying and pleading, while an all-male team of Chicago police officers raided the wrong home. On Friday, Haddon vowed to, quote, forge ahead with her own ordinance, arguing that it is stronger in 17 different ways than the reforms outlined by executive order by Lightfoot and police superintendent David Brown. Here's the quote from Haddon, quote, we need to come up with our own solutions. We need to do it with the community. We need to win back the trust of all Chicago government has lost over many decades. We're working through a legislative process. This is not leaving the accountability or the value or the perception of a policy change up to one person. Ben, your thoughts. You're on mute. Uh, yes. I put it on mute because I had the hiccups. Oh, no. 
I thought that there was the breaking news. Ben is the bit. Oops. Oh, doing that imitation of the hiccups may, may bring it back. Oh God, oh, not a good, not a good idea. But I'm with you, Maria Haddon, Maria Haddon, Alderman Woman of the 49th Ward, who's kind of been going along a little bit. You know, uh, you, you ever notice this, Steve? Like within the, the uh, progressive, well, everybody's a progressive now, so you can't really call them progressive. But like within the uh, Democratic Socialist realm of the City Council, there are those who like openly battle Mayor Lori Lightfoot and she can't stand. She obviously cannot stand them. And then there's the good uh, ones, you know, in quotes, like who occasionally vote with her and, and Lori Lightfoot's attitude is, why can't you all be like Maria Haddon? Why can't you, rest of you, Byron Sister Lopez, be like Andre Vasquez? How come you, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez, listen to Carlos Ramirez Rosa and you don't do like... Sue Sadlowski Garza. You know, it's like they got the favorites. and It's like I I had to deal with this all the time when I was working uh, with McDumkey. Everyone liked McDumkey. Why can't you be more more like McDumkey, Ben? So I can relate. Now Maria Haddon. I don't know. You keep this up, Maria Haddon in the 49th Ward. Lori Life will be yelling at you. I'm not going to swear because... This is the new, uh, resolution I had. No more swearing on the Ben Jarofsky show. We discussed this at the outset. We're going to close the show the way we begin. But you keep this up, Maria Haddon. You keep speaking out against the mayor's proposals. You keep standing up for what you believe in and what most of Chicago activists believe in. Then she's going to tell you to go beep yourself. <laughs> I appreciate, I, that, I appreciate you editing yourself. A lot yeah. of cursing going on on the Ben Jarofsky show these days. Boy, this week we yeah. had that Weiss guy. My God. <laughs> so MF this, MF that. <laughs> I have seen this coming for a long time on police issues. Uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, campaigned as a quote unquote reformer on police issues and is hesitant to, uh, well, she hasn't really had an advanced her full uh, slate of proposals yet. Uh, so she's resisting efforts to have had civilian oversight or the proposals that are out there. So Maria Haddon, get used to it. You keep this up. And she's going to be treating you like your name was Byron Sisho Lopez. Maria, you're more than welcome to come on the Ben Jarofsky show to talk about whatever you want to talk about. All right. We had Matt Martin come on the show. We've had Ray Lopez come on the show. You were invited as well, obviously. right, she's Ben? on. Maria Haddon's been on well, the I show. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. But now that she's got, you know, this whole yeah. thing going on. Now hey, she's stepping up. You're right. Yeah. She's in JT country. If you need an outlet, right? the Ben Jarofsky show is always here. I'm in my apartment. Ben's in his attic. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a porta potty update if you're lucky when you come on. <laughs> Only if you're lucky. You'd be so lucky. All right. So I guess we're not doing this uh, 13 questions thing. We got, we're got. we going to roll on here. Ben, you can take you know, the tie and jacket off. You're no longer the CPS CEO. Thank God. Oh, uh, so what do you say we do one thing here? We did get a Bulls trivia question from Jim. All right. So Go we'll ahead. end it out with some Bulls trivia. Then we'll call it a week. Uh, All right. You you too can call the Ben Jarofsky show. It's true. 708-658-4788. Number again. 708-658-4788. Call the Ben Jarofsky show. You can give us a trivia question like Jim. Uh, you can just 
go on the let's go on a riff, riff about something, rant about something, that's fine. You can prank call us, do whatever you want. 708-658-4788. And there is a good chance that we will play your voicemail on the program, like we're about to do with our good friend Jim. Jim gives us Bulls trivia questions from time to time, and it's time for his latest installment of Bulls Trivia. Jimbo Jambo, take it away, sir. Hey, Ben. Hey, Dennis. This is Jim calling. Uh, got a uh, Bulls trivia question for Ben. Since it's All-Star Weekend, I'll uh, keep it to that subject. The NBA All-Star Game is this uh, coming Sunday. So my question for Ben is, um, how many times has the NBA All-Star Game been held in Chicago, the home of the Bulls? And uh, I will uh, email the uh, answer to... Dennis. Okay, guys, have a great day. Jim, you're awesome. And he did email me the answer. Ben Jarofsky, how many All-Star games have been in the city of Chicago? NBA All-Star Three. Three. One, two, three. 1973. Dave Cowens, Nate Archibald. I think Dave Cowens won the MVP that year. Great All-Star game, 1973. 1988. Dennis's favorite all-star game, Michael Jeffrey Jordan true. at age 25, won the slam dunk contest. And they said it was uh, the crowd. It was uh, the judges were motivated by the crowd and that Dominique Wilkins should have won it. I still say MJ deserved to win it. And then, of course, last year, uh, right before the pandemic hit, 2020, they didn't have one bull. I was outraged, if you recall, the Zach attack. Zach Levine should have been on that roster. But they left him out. So three times. Three is my answer, Dennis. You're going with three. Okay. Is that your final answer, Ben? Yes. You feel confident about that answer? Three. Yes. Not two, not four, not five, not six, but three. Three. He says three. Ladies and gentlemen. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! <laughs> it was three. 1973, 1988, and of course the most recent, 2020. Come on, man. I know my Bulls trivia. I, I watched all three of those games. 1973, Dave Cowens and Nate Archibald, man. Ah, the glory days of the early 70s. Ah, Harold. <laughs> 1973. That was like pre-Dennis time. Pre-Dennis time. I think. I was born in 83. Uh, Mick Dumkey watched that. Yeah, so it was pre-Dennis time. Mick Dumkey, uh watched the uh, 73 All-Star game, and I believe his reaction was, cuckoo caca. That's how old he was. He wasn't really speaking in full sentences, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right, that's he, our show. He's been writing today, Chicago Reader right columns thing. for 40 years, guys. Go get his latest, greatest hits. Uh, it's a book from Ben Jarofsky. Get it now, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky. No one can see the book, Ben. I know you're pointing to it. Uh, forward slash Jarofsky. Go check it out. Also, become a Ben head, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky to find out how you can help this program Uh keep delivering this program to you chicagoreader.com so much more check out this weekend's benny j bonus interviews chicagoreader.com wherever else you download podcasts okay we're done i want to thank romano saying for the excellent job she did and of course the man myth the legend the pride of joy of Alton, illinois without whom the show this possible the man that nate archibald dave collins dominique wilkins and michael jeffrey jordan all fondly call white lightning give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash have a great weekend everybody
Survey at the University of Illinois Prairie Research Institute. This is Illinois State Climatologist Trent Ford. Yay for our teacher! Yay for our teachers! <laughs> 